Good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of you who are joining us online for church this morning. Happy Sunday to you. I hope you're doing well. Well, we're continuing our series we call One Story, working our way all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And right now we find ourselves right about in the middle in the book of Psalms. For over 2,500 years, the book of Psalms has been the greatest collection of prayers in human history. It was the prayer book of Jesus. The Psalms gave Jesus his words of prayer, and they've been the words of prayer for his followers really ever since. Now, I want to start by saying a little bit about what the Psalms are not, what they're not. Lots of people, you know this as well as I do, lots of people buy little devotional books and they're filled with uplifting thoughts and they read a page in the morning and it helps them start the day with a positive and uplifting attitude. And that's fine, it's not a bad thing to do at all. Well, back many years ago, I tried to do that sort of thing with the book of Psalms. I was hoping each day a psalm or two would be a piece of uplifting and inspirational hint for happy living. And about half the time, it worked out okay. Uh, but then the other half of Psalms are like, what the? I mean, they're all over the place. I mean, for instance, Psalm 136 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And it goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Just goes on and on like that through the whole psalm. It's a great psalm. Puts me in a great frame of mind. And that's really, really good. But the next day I went to read Psalm 137, the very next one. And here's how Psalm 137 ends. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy are those who repay you for what you have done to us, those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks. What is up with that? I mean, that's not a happy thought to take through a day. That's horrible. Nobody's going to post a meme of that one on Facebook or Instagram. No way. <laughs> you know, a lot of people come up uh, to something like that in the Psalms, and they just don't know what to make of it. And they'll give up on Psalms. But we've got to remember the Bible has all different kinds of literature in it. There's books of history, books of prophecy that we're going to start getting into pretty soon. Wisdom books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and there are letters like the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament. And it's really, really important that we understand the kind of literature that the Psalms consist of. The Psalms are really very, very much like uh, reading someone's spiritual journal. And if you've ever journaled, you know that it's uncensored, it's unfiltered, just raw expressions of the heart. Uh, none of the highs and lows get flattened out at all, and they shouldn't. And the Psalms are that way. Now, in one of the great days of human history, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, this is called the triumphal entry, there's a little taste of what, it, what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. How do you give voice to unspeakable joy? Well, only the Psalms. They shouted out words from Psalm 118. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in the darkest moment of human history, Jesus hangs on the cross and feels utterly abandoned and alone. And the only time in all of eternity, the son is estranged from the father. The fellowship of the Trinity is broken. So how do you give voice to unspeakable sorrow? Only the Psalms. Jesus shouts out words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is so immersed in the Psalms that they give voice to the greatest anguish in his heart when he was on the cross. See, all of the Bible is God's word to us. And part of what I love about the Psalms, part of their uniqueness is this. 
they were written also to become our words to God. I mean, they're God words, God's words to us, but they're also given to us to become our words to God. And they're about all of our lives, not just the happy parts. It's the highs and the lows and everything in between. Now, I know that some of you out there with administration gifts, like real high administration gifts, you wonder things like this. Well, why didn't they organize the Psalms better? Why didn't they put all the happy ones together and the sad ones together and the mad ones together? I'll tell you what I think. I think that the Psalms are messy because life is kind of messy. You ever notice that? A happy day and a sad day sometimes come painfully close to one another. And you know that as well as I do. Now, the, the Psalms teach us to bring all of our lives in all of their fullness to God and abide in Him and remain in Him through it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, at the very, very most basic level, you can kind of divide the Psalms into two camps, two different camps. There are Psalms of praise, and some people call them Psalms of hymns, Psalms that praise God for His greatness and His goodness. And then secondly, there are laments, Psalms that go to God in great pain and ask God for help in times of difficulty and desperation or need. Musicians might look at this kind of as Psalms in major keys and Psalms in minor keys. And uh, first, we're going to look at the happy ones. But we're going to look together at a few different kinds of psalms, actually. We're going to actually practice making the psalms our words to God today. I want to ask that we all enter into this with really full focus and a willing heart, okay? All right. Now, we understand that the psalms are mostly poetry. Now, in English, how do you recognize when a writing is poetry? Generally by rhymes and rhythm, right? Like, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Easily identifiable, right? Now with the Psalms though, with Hebrew poetry, they're characterized not primarily by rhyme or by meter, but by what's called parallelism, where a thought gets expressed in pairs. And there's a few different kinds of parallelism, but we don't need to go into all that uh, today. Basically, it looks like this. In Psalm 103, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. So that worshipful thought is expressed in a pair of statements. The second statement kind of reiterates the first with a few different words. That's a style of poetry that's often seen in the Psalms. Uh, very, you'll see it all through the Bible, but very, very frequently actually in the Psalms. This is Hebrew parallelism. Now, real quick sidebar. Why does God want to be praised? I mean, some of people out there, they just kind of wonder, why is that important to God? Does he have this kind of need for people to sit around and tell him how great he is? <laughs> it's not really that at all. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great thinker and writer, he wrote this. He said, there's something about life and human nature that when you see something that is praiseworthy or admirable, our instinct is to express adoration. See, our experience is incomplete until we're able to give voice to the wonder in our hearts. So you go to a place like the Grand Canyon or to Pebble Beach Golf Club where the finger of God is seen and there's just an inevitable response, isn't there? You want to praise, you want to applaud. And when we don't do that, when we don't do that, then our experience is kind of lessened. Appreciation must be expressed to be experienced fully. That's the biggest reason that men tell women that they're beautiful. Actually, it's probably the second biggest reason that men tell them that, but whatever. When a human being encounters God, an all-wise, infinitely powerful, utterly holy, all-loving, 
inexhaustibly patient, ceaselessly creative, this beautiful, joy-filled God, when a human being encounters God, our experience of Him will not be complete until we express praise. And not just express it, but express it directly to Him. And when we know He delights in our praise, it's just the best. Then we know and we sense that we're in a relationship with Him, one of reciprocal joy, giving and receiving. Okay, one thing that's really, really important to understand is this. The essence of worship is not great music. Sometimes people talk about worship as though it's just synonymous with music. It is not. And worship is not primarily about getting to hear music that I, in particular, like. Worship's not about having an emotional experience. Because sometimes people go to a service, you know, a corporate gathering of believers, and their focus is on, will I be able to feel what I want to feel here? That's not the heart of worship. Now, sometimes God does give gifts of great joy. Sometimes he does give gifts of an emotional experience in worship, but that's not the heart of it. Now, here's a, what I think is a pretty good definition of this. The heart of worship is to reflect on and delight in the goodness and greatness and glory of God and to express this directly to him and know that he receives it. I love that. That's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to ask us to take 90 seconds to get alone if you're not right now, just to slip off and get alone, and use your words to express praise to God. Now, let me just say something about this real quickly before we do it. This is often difficult for people to do at first. And what happens is we tend to slide into confession because we feel guilty and we say, God, I'm sorry, I don't do this more often. Or we tend to slide into requests, God, help us to, re to uh, do this more, to praise you more. But instead, I mean, don't do that. Instead. Just focus on who God is and what he's all about. Kind of like this, God, I just love how you care for everybody. I love your compassion, how you have a heart for the poor and the forgotten. God, I just love how you're so filled with joy and how you fill the world with such amazing beauty. I love that about you. God, I'm amazed at how patient you are. You never, ever, ever give up. You never stop loving. And I love that about you. That's the heart of praising God. That's the heart of worship. So step away if you have to. And for just one and a half minutes, just express to him with your words what you really love about him. If this is uncomfortable for you, it's okay. Stretch. Don't quit. Don't bail. Don't just check out. Stretch a little bit. You can do this for 90 seconds. You can do anything for 90 seconds. So just express your praise to God, and I'll call you back in a minute and a half, okay? Go do that now.
Okay, come back. Now we're going to look at a little bit of a different type of psalm, a psalm of lament. Now, we're actually going to pray a psalm of lament in just a minute. And a lot of you may think that you don't know how to lament, but trust me, you do. If you know how to complain, you know how to lament, because a lament is basically a psalm of complaint. Uh, interestingly enough, the psalms of lament is the single largest category in the entire book of Psalms. There's more of that kind than any other. And we have to understand that just as God delights when we bring praise and words of joy to him, God also longs for us to bring our pains and our burdens and our doubts and our struggles to him. Psalm 42 is one of these Psalms of lament. L listen to the beginning words here. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now slip down to verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Just look back for a moment at those opening words. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. This is not a statement of someone that's at the top of their spiritual game. He is not saying about his life. He's saying, I don't care. He's not saying, I don't care about the circumstances of my life. All I want to do is worship. That's a nice thought. That is not this psalm. He's saying, my life is falling apart. I cry day and night. My health is failing. My enemies, people that don't like me, are mocking me. And God, it seems like you're not doing anything. That's what it looks like to me. And I'm desperate. I'm like a fragile creature dying of thirst, he says. Now, I want you to notice something else about this psalm. How exactly is the psalmist's life falling apart? Like, what are the details of it? In the psalms, we almost never know. Now, the psalms are very different in this way than most of the rest of the Old Testament. And all the rest of the Old Testament is filled with details. Names of individuals, names of places, tribes and nations and battles and so on. But there are very, very few details about that kind of stuff in the book of Psalms. And that is intentional. The Psalms were written to be all purpose so that people in lots of different situations, including you and I, we could adapt the Psalms to our situation so we can use them to give voice to what's happening in our lives right now, 2,500 years later. Now, the, the Psalms of Lament would generally talk about four different kinds of problems. And I just want to list them out and say just a few words about them. And you find them all right here in Psalm 42 that we just read. They'll talk about enemies, and they'll talk about sickness. They'll talk about death, and they'll talk about traps. In Psalm 42.9, it says, Why must I go about mourning oppressed by my enemy? So there's enemies right there. It says, My bones suffer. That's sickness talks about mortal agony. That's a fear of death. He talks about how my soul is downcast. That's the idea of being trapped or stuck, some might call it. These are deliberately general categories for all of us to adapt into our own lives. Enemies could refer to anything that you need deliverance from. Because if you think about it, most of our, uh, our very common problems involve human beings. 
conflict, tension, rivalry, things like that. So maybe it's not a literal enemy. It's probably not a literal enemy. It's just someone that you may have conflict with right now. I mean, enemy in your case might refer to a boss, could be a difficult neighbor, could be a coworker, could be a spouse, could be everybody on I-4 right now, could be somebody that you usually love. An enemy could be depression or loneliness or fear or sin. It is something that you need deliverance from. Then there's sickness, that second category. It's an expression of the depth of the problem. It's affecting my body. I'll just give you an example. You ever seen a flashing blue light in the rear view mirror of your car? You ever feel a physiological response in your body when you see that light? Well, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your stomach or your neck or your head or your colon? <laughs> where do you feel it when you see that flashing blue light? I mean, here's the truth about us. We carry stuff in our bodies all day long. And the Hebrew mindset was much more aware of this than we tend to be. We, we carry things in our body, friends. We're anxious about a test or afraid of failing at work, maybe mad about a blow up at home or worried about money, worried about a child, something like that. So we walk around with churning stomachs and stiff necks and aching heads and sweaty palms. Everybody watching today knows exactly what the psalmist is talking about when he says, my bones suffer. We all know, we've all felt it. In a sense, God is using your body to tell you to pray. Did you get that? When you feel those kinds of things, God is using your body to tell you to pray. Life in this fallen world is, it just involves more than you were intended to handle upon your own. So talk to God about it. Talk to God. Now this sense of pressure or trouble is so often very extremely severe in the Psalms of Lament that the psalmist talks about being at the point of death. And the idea behind it is the psalmist is saying, I don't see any way out. I'm about to lose hope here. He's saying, I'm in mortal agony. The life is getting squeezed out of me. And then that fourth category about being trapped, the psalmist will use images like drowning or being trapped in a pit. Uh, there are words like, redeem my life from the pit, it says in Psalm 103, or it says, my feet are trapped in miry clay. The idea behind this is, I'm stuck. I'm stuck, God. I'm stuck in my financial life, stuck in my marriage, stuck in habitual sin, stuck in destructive relating patterns, just stuckness. God, I am just stuck and I can't get out. So we're going to take a few moments and this is just between you and God. So in a whispered kind of prayer, I'd like you to, I'd like to invite you to do what the psalmist invites you to do. And that is to come before God with an open heart and fully honest words with whatever your deepest need may be. Make your lament before God for a full, honest minute, 60 seconds. I want you to go use your words and pray one of these psalms of lament to God. Just be honest with what's going on in your life. Take 60 seconds. I'll call you back in a minute, okay? So go do that now.
Okay, you can come back now. All right, next, the psalmist never got over the overwhelming awareness that our God hears and our God cares. Every prayer, every heartache, God acts and God answers. And we should know that among the psalms of praise, there are specifically these ones that are called psalms of thanksgiving. So in the, in the way it would often happen is like this. In a lament, I cry out to God of my need for help, and then God acts. And that loop isn't over until I thank him. In one of the great psalms of thanksgiving is Psalm 30. And here's a couple of verses of that psalm that I really, really love. So let's read them out loud together, can you? They'll come up on your screen. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. I love those words. All right now, here's how I want to close today. I want us to take a full minute to express our gratitude, our thanks to God for, the, for very, very specific things in your life. Bonnie and I do this actively and regularly, especially in times when there's a challenge or something negative going on. One of us will speak out, whoever's kind of got the lifeline at that point in time will say, okay, what can we thank God for right now in this moment? I know that's not what we're feeling, we're feeling all this negative stuff happening, but what can we thank God for right now in this moment? Because remember that our God hears our laments, he acts on our behalf and our heart needs to give thanks, or we actually cultivate an ungrateful heart. But there's something incredibly important to keep in mind through all this. God sees our situations with perfect clarity. We only see what's right in front of us this very second. We don't always see, we don't always know how God is working for our good, and He's doing it all the time. All the time. Not long ago, there was a couple who had to take their five-year-old daughter, Haley, to the hospital. She was climbing a tree in their neighborhood, and she fell out from about 10 feet above the ground. And they rushed her in for x-rays and CAT scans and so on. And they discovered that she was not damaged by the fall. That's the good news. But they found a brain tumor. And it was benign, but it was growing. So the, they did surgery, and the surgery went very well. She asked for a cheeseburger the next day after it, and the healing came along really nicely. Her life was saved in part because she fell out of a tree and experienced pain. I mean, the kind of things that we pray to avoid, and we wonder where God is when it happens. But then they did the x-rays, and they found out what they never would have found otherwise. And little Haley's mom says that she just pictured two guardian angels there with Haley and when she was up in the tree one of them saying to the other one saying well you push her the other one going no, I'm not pushing her you push her <laughs> that's a bit of perspective but the Psalms give us language when we don't understand all of life but we do trust God he loves you with an everlasting love he understands you completely he forgives you totally welcomes you into his presence unceasingly. And that is good news, and it's worth expressing thanks to God for. So let's take 60 seconds now and just express our thanks to God. So get alone for 60 seconds. Just thank you, God, for, and be real, real specific. Be as specific as you know how to be, and I'll call you back in 60 seconds, okay?
All right, let's uh, wrap up this thought on Psalms today by going to God in prayer, can we? Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the words that come from Psalms, the prayer book of Jesus, the prayer book of his followers for the last 2,500 years. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray the words of the Psalms, Lord, in, in ways that it helps us express ourselves to you so that we might do it honestly, openly, and be prompted in ways that help us do that. So God, thank you for your word and all that it means to us. Thank you for lighting our way with your word. You are so good. Now, Lord, I pray you'd be with everyone that's watching today, that you'd bless their lives, that you bless their families, that you bless the work of their hands and keep them safe. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for spending this time with us here. Uh, let me leave you with this as we go. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you soon. Mm -hmm.